All right. Well, John chapter 15, if you would turn there in your Bibles as we continue our way through the gospel according to John. So we're going to finish up the last two verses in chapter 15, and then we'll make our way into chapter 16. And Father, as we turn there, Lord, we do pray that you would make your word alive to us, Lord. We pray, Father, that we wouldn't just read it as something written so long ago that really doesn't affect us or have any uh, real meaning to us, but rather, Lord, we'd be able to see that these things were written to followers of Jesus, followers of yours, Lord. We're followers of yours, and we pray that the applicable things that we can glean from this, that we would apply those things to our own personal lives. So we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, you know that chapter 15, last week at least, we, we saw in verse 18, Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, and he goes on from there. Last week, we ended with a quote. Uh, it's in verse 25. Jesus quoted it. He says, they hated me without a cause. And that quote, you can't necessarily find that quote in one location, and, but it's kind of a, a, a group of texts all found in Psalms, Psalm 37, I'm, I'm sorry, Psalm 35, verse 19, Psalm 69, verse 4, and then also 109, Psalm 109, Verses 3 and 5, we kind of get the gist of that. So they, they hated me without a cause. Guys, um, you know, it would, be, would have been disturbing. It would have been difficult to take in all the things that Jesus was saying on that evening because he was saying things that were so foreign to them. I mean, they had been with Jesus for three and a half years, his public ministry. Everywhere they went, it was apparent that Jesus was in charge. Jesus was in control. Nobody was going to take him by force. Uh, demons had no authority over him, but rather he had authority over them. Sickness, man, no problem. He's just dealing with things. And, and now he's talking about going away. He's going to depart. And in the midst of saying that he's leaving, he begins to tell them what's coming, and what's coming is the hatred from the world. And this would be very hard, you know? You're th okay, so you're going away, you're not gonna be here, and the world's gonna hate us, this is not sounding good at all. And then you get to chapter 15, verse 26, and we, we have in our English translations, we have the word but. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he, that's the comforter, the helper, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So he says, things are going to get bad, things are going to get hard, but, but I'm, I'm going to send the helper. And, and the helper there, it says helper, uh, some of your Bibles might read comforter. Both can be applied there because even in mine, I have helper, but the note tells me that it's also 
comforter, helper, comforter. These are not names of the Holy Spirit. These are titles of the Holy Spirit. The titles are describing really the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the paracletus, that is the, the, the Greek word, and paracletus is, is describing one that comes alongside. So if things are going to get difficult, it's going to get hard, the world's going to hate you, but, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. He's a comforter, he's a helper, he's going to come alongside, and he's going to aid you. And we saw that he will testify of me. So the Spirit of God, who's going to come alongside, part of his ministry, is testifying of Jesus. And then it goes on and says, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And, and it appears from our English Bibles that, well, we have bear witness and we have testify and, and we know that the words are, are very similar. But in fact, in the Greek, in the original language, um, the words are identical. It's the exact same word. And the word means to be a witness. And... Um, and this makes sense to us because uh, the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit coming upon you, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be witnesses of me, remember, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other part, uh, to all the world. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going away, but another's coming. He's a helper. He's a comforter. He is the spirit of truth. We were introduced to him as the spirit of truth back in chapter 14 of John's gospel. He is the spirit of truth. Let that sink in. He is the spirit of truth. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of lies that are going on in churches today, and they're blaming it on the Holy Spirit. I say blaming it because they almost act as if they have no control. Oh, the spirit of God made me do it, you know. And they do these silly, horrendous things. We've just seen, I, I don't know that you've paid attention to it. You don't necessarily have to pay attention to it. But a fellow that I first heard way back in the early 80s, and he had a ministry, I think it was located in California. Maybe it was located someplace else. But back then in the 80s, the fellow, the pastor, was Mike Bickle. The ministry was um, Eagle's Nest Ministry. And, of course, it's come out now. Uh, Mike Bickle, he moved to Kansas City. This is where you have the whole Kansas City prophets going back to John Wimber and uh, the Bob Jones and, the, you know, all of these different guys that claim to be prophets. And, um, and Mike, of course, was one of those prophets. And it's come out that, you know, Mike had, had uh, taken advantage of his position as a pastor and, and really putting himself out as someone who is hearing directly from God. And so he is speaking the word of God. His word was as, as if it was the written word of God. And it, it came out that uh, a young girl was, uh, a young woman was uh, manipulated and, and really kind of gave in to his... Uh, you know, suggestions and all, because he had prophesied over her that um, my wife is going to die and you're going to be my new wife. So you talk about the abuse of power. Well, from he's been removed from 
IHOP, not the pancake place, but the, um, the prayer place in Kansas City. <clears throat> and um, sadly, it's come out that he used the same tactic not on just one woman or young girl, but many of them. He would have many, you know, you got a problem when you're a man and you are surrounded by young women or girl, women, you know, girls. Some of these girls, uh, was, they were 14, 15 years of age when they were kind of being wooed and awed by this fellow. And they were duped because they believed that he was a prophet of God. And of course, a prophet of God would never do such things. So you got to be careful of that. It is the spirit of truth, which means he doesn't lie. He doesn't give false prophecies. He doesn't lie. He doesn't manipulate. That's not the spirit of God. That's another spirit, but it's not the spirit of the living God. So we need to be able to make a distinction between the spirit of God and these other demonic spirits that are out there. But I want you to note something, what he says about the Holy Spirit. He says that he is the helper. He says he is the spirit of truth. He is the helper from God, from the Father. He is the spirit of truth. He proceeds from the Father, and he testifies of Jesus. And then I want you to drop down, if you would, to chapter 16 and verse 12, just for a moment. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, Holy Spirit is not an it, he's not an essence, he, the pronoun, is important. However, when, and he's not an Asian woman. Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, the shack. He's not an Asian woman. Anyway, not that there's anything wrong with being an Asian woman, but it's not the Holy Spirit, okay? So anyway, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when, so there's a reference point, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he was, will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So a few more things concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, Jesus. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You know, guys, the ministry of the Spirit, Jesus says it's going to get bad. It's going to get hard. They're going to hate you. They're going to mistreat you. In fact, going back up to the beginning of chapter 16, look at verse 1. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. He's very specific. He tells them that he will, or that they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time will come, the time is coming, that whoever kills you will think that they, that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because, this is the reason why, because they do not know the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that 
When the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus says, when I was with you, you had nothing to worry about. I had you covered. I had you protected. I, nothing was going to happen to you. Not one hair on your head was going to, unless it was my will. But, but I'm going away. And when I go away, you have a message. And this message that you're going to preach, the gospel, um, it's going to be something that many, many people will reject. They will think that you're um, teaching heresy, in fact, um, because they know not the Father nor me. So I want you to know that there's going to be great opposition to what you're preaching. But I also want you to know that I'm giving you a helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to do, and then he gives us a list of things that the Holy Spirit does, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, guys, I think of the apostles. It wasn't that they, you know, Matthew and, and um, you know, I think of uh, Peter, you know, we have two epistles from Peter. And John, of course, we have the gospel account, and then we have three epistles from, from John. These, these men were, were with Jesus. They followed Jesus. Of course, James, the epistle that we have, uh, James, the author of that, he was a brother of Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. But some of these others that were part of the 12, you know, they had been with Jesus. It wasn't that they just kept good notes. And that's how they were able to write the scripture, their gospel accounts or, you know, the epistles later on in life. Um, it was because the spirit of God had taken the things that Jesus said and brought them to the surface and, and, and breathed these things, you know, into the, however, into the mind, the heart. They're God breathed. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit so that they were able to write the things that they write. It amazes me how, um, you know, the youngest um, believer, so I don't mean in age, you know, I don't mean if you're a child, but the, the youngest believer, you maybe you've only walked with the Lord for a short period of time, um, the youngest believer with the Word of God and the Spirit of God can really understand a lot of things. There's some people that you put a Bible into their hand and it's almost like putting a gun in the hand of a child. They're dangerous. They don't know which end is up. Man, they read a text and they come up with some conclusion and you, everyone's just kind of scratching your, their head thinking, where in the world did you get that, you know? I mentioned it, I don't know if I mentioned it at this service, but a few weeks ago we had a fellow, you know, he was kind of accosting some of you out there, you know. He said he was Jesus, and you're Jesus, and I'm Jesus, and Tracy's Jesus, and Tracy set him straight, and she uh, told him I'm not Jesus, and, and uh, you know. But anyway, then he started quoting scripture uh, verse, obviously his his verse that he liked to use. 
And you just kind of look at the fellow and you say, man, you are dangerous. You're like a child with a gun in his hand. You've got that Bible. You've got one verse. You've misinterpreted that one verse that you're using, going around telling people that they're Jesus and also rebuking people. Um, one of the fellows, you know, we, we live in a different culture now. I think that things are a little bit different than uh, they used to be. But one of our brothers uh, was told that he was misrepresenting Jesus in whom he is, because he is Jesus, because he's wearing a ball cap. And I said to the fellow, uh, Justin, I said to him afterwards, I said, you should have just responded and said, maybe Jesus wanted to wear a ball cap today. It's ridiculous. But there are some people like that. I mean, you, they just don't know what ends up. And you wonder, either they're ignorant of the word of God, and there's no shame in that. I mean, if you're young and you're new to the faith, it takes time, you know, to, 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 to learn the, the word of God. But I'll tell you, man, I've, I've seen young people who get alone with a Bible and the Spirit of God and they're praying through the scriptures and how the Lord begins to show them and speak to them in just very deep, deep ways. Beautiful. It's wonderful. What am I saying? What am I saying? I'm saying that the Lord has given us everything we have need of. See, this is why, you know, religion, it's a turnoff. It's a drag. It's a do this and don't do that. And this is how you do it. And this is how we, you know. And, 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 and many times, you know, you look and you say, we'll get to chapter 17 of John in a few weeks here. But, you know, John, Jesus specifically prayed that, that we, the church, would be one. And you look at the church, you look at, you know, professing believers today and you say, man, have we ever been more fragmented than, than, our, than we are today. It's just outrageous. You know, you've seen churches, you've seen Christians that, <laughs> that have divided over the means of baptism. Isn't that silly? Or communion. You know, I remember one time there was this fellow, and I always get a little nervous when, you know, people are kind of singing my praises, you know. Oh, Dan, oh, you're wonderful. Oh, thank you for teaching me. Da, da, da. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I think we all like to hear a thank you every now and again. But this fellow was really over the top, and this is my church, and I'm so glad that this is my church, and da, 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 da. And then we had communion. And so right before I came out to you know, do the service, which is the worst time to approach a pastor, by the way, or you're going to get someone in the flesh in the pulpit. <laughs> you don't want to, you wait till afterwards. Afterwards, you can say whatever you want to say, but not before. But he came up and he said, oh, I have one thing to say to you. And I said, what's that? And he said, the reason I left my last church, and I knew the church he went to, uh, he went to a church where uh, we had sent out the pastor to pioneer the church, so we, we knew it very, very well. He says, I disagree with him on communion. And I'd really like to talk to you about that. And I said, do you really think that this is the right time? See, and there's division over that. I was raised Roman Catholic. There's religion. Religion, religion. The bread becomes the body of Christ. Does it? Where does it say that? The blood, the, the juice becomes the blood of Christ. This 
continual sacrifice. Now, don't get offended. That. That's not what it means. That's exactly what it means. Guys, we have seven letters in the book of Revelation, seven letters to the seven churches. The seven letters were seven literal churches that existed at the time that John received and wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. But they also, obviously, when you study them, they represent the seven, seven stages of church history. And, and they represent many other things. You have the church of Ephesus, the darling church. I mean, this is the, the church of new beginnings, you know. And, and yet Jesus had to rebuke that, that early church early on because they had left their first love. Then you have the church of Smyrna. The church of Smyrna is a, the persecuted church. It's going through hardships. Jesus doesn't rebuke that church at all. There's only two churches that did not, did not receive a rebuke or, of correction from Jesus. All the other churches received a rebuke from Jesus. Correction. But the church of Smyrna, you know, what does he say to them? It doesn't be faithful unto death. You're going to die. Many of you are going to die. Be faithful unto death. You get to the church of Thyatira. What is that? What is Thyatira? The church of continual sacrifice. Is Christ crucified again and again and again? No. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Now, I might have made a lot of enemies already by pointing out just some of these things, baptism, communion, things like that. The point that I'm trying to make is that if we simply trust the Spirit of God, to teach us the word of God. This is the word of God. He inspired it. He breathed this into existence using, of course, the human authors to pin these things down. It wasn't their opinion. It wasn't their opinion. This is not my interpretation. When I read a scripture, I could give an interpretation. I could give my opinion on it. But I think it's apparent when I'm doing that. But if I'm just reading the scripture, don't you love it when you read a scripture and someone says, that's your opinion? I said, no, it's not my opinion. I just read, obviously, you know, you were the dog that the rock hit, and now you're barking because you're convicted. And rather than saying the word of God without any interpretation, the meaning of it, just the word of God, it hit me. And that brings us back to our text. The fact of the matter is, is that, as we looked at last week, there are Christians all over the world that are being martyred for their faith. They're being mistreated for the cause of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 21, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. For my name's sake. What? Are you saying it's your fault, Jesus? Yes, it's my fault. You might think I'm being flippant by putting it that way. But guys, remember the text last week? I just read it in the beginning of this. If we were of the world, the world would love us. But because we're not of the world, the world hates us. If the world loves you, you're not of the Lord. If the world hates you because you take a stand for biblical things, then know that Jesus told you it would be this way from the very beginning. The fact of the matter is, is that as Paul wrote in Philippians, for to you it has been granted 
on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul says, I want you to have a perspective, the right perspective on this. You may suffer for being a Christian. Maybe we won't suffer martyrdom, especially here in the United States. Things could change, but it doesn't look like it's coming anytime quickly. But you could be marginalized. You could be uh, <laughs> excluded because you're a child of God, because you have a biblical, a biblical worldview, and people just don't want that biblical worldview around, so they don't want you around. But the fact of the matter is we could see it either as we're victims, you know, woe is me, isn't this horrible? I used to have friends, now I don't have any friends, you know? Or we could look at it like Paul wanted the readers of Philippi and beyond to read it. It has been granted, it has been granted. The word granted, it speaks of a favor in kindness. It has been granted to you, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul went on to say, uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And all of us would say, amen, amen. But he didn't stop there. And he says, and the fellowship of his suffering. What? Being conformed to his death. Whoa. See, that's the... That's the biblical worldview. That's the Christian worldview. Not I, but Christ. I no longer live. The life I live is in Christ now. See, our whole identity is, is, is now in Christ. I've been, I've been shown a favor of kindness to not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake. If we don't have the right perspective, we will think something's wrong. And when we begin to think that something's wrong, we will stumble. Verse 1 of 16, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. We will stumble. We will think this isn't right, something's strange, something's not right with this, I must be doing things wrong. The word stumble, the uh, King James, I use the New King James, but the King James Bible uses the word offended. And the Greek word that's used here, it means to entrap, to trip up, to entice, listen, to entice to sin. And the last thing it speaks of is apostasy, to stumble to apostasy, to apostate, to turn away. Now, I know that's another, oh, that's, uh, that, that, well, that's another topic that churches divide over. It's impossible to turn away. I, 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 I'm just simply reading what the scripture says and what the word of God says. You know, people say it's impossible to turn away. Then why do we see so many people who seem to be professors of faith in Jesus Christ, ministers that they've turned away, they've turned their back on their Lord, they've deconstructed their faith. See, because we like everything to be neat in little boxes, so that when we come across scriptures that just kind of maybe stumble us a little bit, we like these nice little boxes and we have, we have an answer for everything. Well, because they were never saved in the first place. Is that how it is? 
See, guys, if it's this, this kind of thing that we come up with, you know, there's this strange thing within Western Christianity, and that's this, that a child, six or seven years of age, children, oh, they are so pliable. They have, you know, Jesus says we're to have the faith of a child, not childish faith, but childlike faith. Children, it's easy to persuade a child to believe. I mean, think of the fantasy worlds that many of our children, when they're young, they live in. And this is why we have to be very, very careful of this, parents, because, you know, they get to an age and then you say, well, you know, now this really wasn't real. Okay. Oh, oh and that one, that's not real either. That was, that was made up. That's just for fun. That's fantasy stuff. They might look at you and say, so Jesus... Is he real, or is he just kind of one of those fantasy things like the others that you wanted me to believe in? A child can believe, and I think that they can be very sincere. And I think of, I think of Marielle. You know, Marielle went, she was invited to a, another church. It was a children's type of thing. And she went to this church, and she came home, and I remember she stood in the living room of our house and she said, Mom and Dad, I received Jesus tonight. I'm born again. Now, um, you know, I was glad. But I was thinking, you had to go to another church? <laughs> Come to faith in Christ? But, you know, it was the Lord moving. The Lord was moving upon her heart, and she made that profession of faith and everything. But here's the thing. Tracy and I didn't go to bed that night and say, whew, we got one of them in heaven. Why not? Because there needs to be a maturing. There needs to be growth. In fact, all of our children made a profession of faith at a very young age. But it became apparent as they grew older that some of them did not have a relationship with the Lord at all. And they needed to be born again. And so rather than saying, I've got my neat little box they said the prayer, which I cannot find in the Bible anywhere because it does not exist, but they've said the prayer, the sinner's prayer, and I have in my box, they're saved, always saved, nothing could ever take their salvation away. I have that in my filing cabinet. It, it, it keeps us, I think, it keeps the parent, it keeps the parent with the child that's living like he's on a highway to hell. It keeps that parents from dropping on their knees or maybe on their face and saying, oh, Lord, have mercy on my kid. Save them, please, Lord. It gives a false hope. Rather than agonizing in prayer, rather than doing the hard work. I always tell parents, you know, sometimes, you know, we, hey, I got this problem, I got that problem, I got, you know, I like to remind people, nobody, nobody it's, I was just talking to the Lord about this the other day as I was praying for one of my, all of our children are adults, and praying for one of my adult children. And I said, Lord, nobody will pray as fervently for my son as his mother and I. Because he's our son. 
because there was this sense of burden. There's a sense of urgency. We, we, we approach the throne of God, you know, with boldness, not because we're arrogant in ourselves, but because Jesus has given us access and we go before the throne of mercy and the mer- throne of grace and we say, oh, Lord, please. Parents can identify with this. If we don't know what's coming, I'm glad that the Lord tells us what's coming before it comes. I think it helped them. I think it helped them a lot. You know, to, to, to see things, see these difficulties coming, to, to face the things that they faced. Last week, I, I went through a list of some of the apostles and, and some of the horrible deaths that they died. I think we need to be prepared for that. You know, I had no idea that one day I would be a pastor. I had no ambition to be a pastor. Uh, when I was saved at 20 years of age, I just wanted to serve the Lord with all my heart any way I could. And I, there was an opening to uh, teach third graders, and so I, I raised my hand and said, I'd like to teach third graders. And so I started teaching third graders. And that gave me an opportunity to hear Bible story, stories that I had never, ever heard in my entire life because we didn't even own a Bible in our home. So I'm looking at the scriptures, I'm teaching these children Bible studies, uh, you know, using the curriculum, and and some of the the characters I had never heard of before. I was just brand new in Christ. It was so amazing. And and it was like this, this, my growth just started taking, you know, just started jetting ahead because I was teaching the word of God. I was reading the word of God, I was studying the word of God, then I was teaching the word of God. We always had a home Bible study in our home. Uh, our first one was absolutely a train wreck because I, I honestly, I didn't know anything. And they're adults, you know, they, and they, w- they would come and I would read something. And I'd say, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? By the way, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Because you know what? We shouldn't care what each other thinks about it. It's the word of God. It's not open to interpretation. It's the word of God. Read the word of God in its context. There's a meaning there. It's not open to, well, this is my take on it. That's disastrous. And that Bible study didn't last very long. But we always had Bible studies in our home once I was able to handle the word of God, teach the word of God. And, but I had no idea that one day I'd be a pastor. I wanted to be a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for six years as I was working my carpentry job thought, I'd love to be a youth pastor, hang out with high schoolers and, you know, teach the word. That'd be fun. High schoolers are fun when you're in your 20s, you know, 30s, early 30s maybe. But then the Lord put a burden up on my heart. I want you to go plant a church. And that burden grew and grew and grew. Listen, it didn't happen. I I like to point this out because sometimes people think, you know, that happened on Monday on Wednesday, we had the U-Haul <laughs> loaded up, and by Friday, we had planted a church. It, does, it never works that way. It is something that the Lord is giving birth to in your heart. And you get to a point where you say, I cannot but do this thing. And it's the preparation. Where am I going with this? I had no idea that I'd ever be a pastor when I first got saved. And my father was 
against me more than anyone I knew. There's a song, I'm not endorsing the guy, it's a secular singer, but the, the guy is, the, the band is um, Stand of Oaks, and I like the guy's voice, and there's some explicit language, and some of these guys, I wish they didn't have to put that in. It's not rap or anything, you know, it's, but anyway, he's got this one song, and he's singing it to his dad, and, 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 and or, you know, and the lyrics in it, Dad, we don't have to drink to talk. And every time I hear the lyrics of that song, it just chokes me up because that was my relationship with my dad. And once I became a Christian, it's like the Lord convicted me and said, Danny, you've been drinking since you were 12 years old. You're not drinking anymore. You're not getting high anymore on anything. You're done. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And for my father, it was like someone had robbed him of something. Because he wasn't going to be able to go to the bar with his son and just hang out and throw some back and have a good old time. And my dad didn't know how to handle it. And he just was like, just coming against me. It was so painful. But I had no idea I'd be a pastor one day. Where am I going with this? As a pastor, you realize, man, you deal with people a lot. That just, man, they're, they're fault-finding, they're this, you said that, you know, I, I've got this, just all these attacks, and it's kind of like, and I remember as a young church planner, man, my thin was so thin. Vance Abner says a preacher should have the height of a rhinoceros, the heart of a child, and the mind of a scholar. He says the problem is to get your hide like a rhinoceros, without hardening your heart. And that's true. But we need to be people who say, it's going to be hard. Jesus said, it's going to be hard. How hard is it going to be? I don't know. You don't know. But it's going to be hard, so we shouldn't be surprised by it. And when it does become hard, I think of the husband who you know, he marries his bride. He loves her with all his heart. They have so much in common until he gets saved. Now he doesn't want to do those things anymore. By the way, attention, that's what happens to born-again people. They stop doing the same old thing over and over Again, you say, why are you being so dramatic? Because there's something wrong with modern-day Christianity. Modern-day Christianity, you can cuss like a sailor. Sorry, sailors. I know we're in a Navy town. You can cuss, <laughs> you can cuss like a sailor. Sailor. You can drink like a, you know, you can, you can just be what you are, but I'm just saved. And I'm telling you, you don't see that in the scripture. What you see is you see men and women whose lives were radically transformed. They were never the same. There was a change that took place. And because of the change, see, if I would have continued the life I'd lived, whenever I was around my dad, my dad would say, come over here, champ. My dad rarely called me by name. I was champ. I was moose. I was, I had so many nicknames. But I know my dad loved me. But I'm so thankful that the opposition came from a man that I know loved me so much. Because I remember saying to the Lord many times, 
if my own father's treating me like this for your name's sake, because you, you're the only thing that has really changed in the, it's because of you, it's for your name's sake. He's treating me like this. I could handle it from anyone. If my dad's doing this to me, Sometimes we don't even know how the Lord is training us for the next thing, preparing us for the next thing. Let me close with this, verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Come on up, Nehemiah. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Do you remember when you came to faith in Christ? Do you, do you, isn't it amazing I think of, you know, I've, I've told the story so many times. You guys are so tired of hearing it, I'm sure. But, but Tracy, you know, she just, she would, she would bring, she would write verses. She would, she would put things in my lunch, you know, uh, never in my sandwich. Some of my friends got it actually in the sandwich, you know, and it would be like, Bible verse of the day or something. Well, Tracy never did that. But, but my wife, she wanted me to come to faith in Christ so badly. And I know that she was praying for me. And for me, I just looked and I thought, man, here's this girl that I'm head over heels with. You're 19 years old. We've been married for a year. I love her with all my heart. But she just keeps pushing, pushing, pushing. And she really wasn't even pushing that much. She would just have, like, things laid out there for me to read. And I think of how, you know, You know, I took that glass, I chucked it against the wall, I cussed at my wife, I told her, don't bring that trash into the house anymore. It's like the gauntlet's down, you know. And I walk out the door, and big, tough Danny, you know, construction worker, broad daylight, people out in their front yards, and I begin to weep like a baby. And I said, Lord, Save me. I'm done. I'm done, Lord. I'm so glad I was done at 20. I have so many regrets from, from, from 12 to, to, to 20, you know. And I was continuing those. First year of marriage, I used to, you know, used to drink before coming home. And the devil just had his grip on me. And then he didn't. And then he didn't. And then someone else had his grip on me. And it was the Lord. And he said, Danny, I I want to do some things in your life. Okay, Lord, what is it? And he just began to fan into a flame. And I just, I am so thankful to the Lord. I'm so thankful for his work of mercy and grace. I'm so thankful that, that I 
that I am a different man than I was, but I surely haven't arrived, you know? I can't wait to be in heaven when I'm complete, you know, and, and perfect, because I'm not that. But I'm so thankful for, for I, I, the other day, I was just thanking the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this didn't happen, and that didn't happen, and this and that, and oh, it would have been disastrous. And the times that I thought, even as a Christian, this is what needs to happen, and it didn't happen. And I was so disappointed, and I was angry at you, Lord, because I felt like you let me down. And yet now, you get some distance, and you say, oh, Lord, <laughs> you have led me by your word and by your spirit, You've been so faithful. Do you have that sense of peace? The Lord wants all of his children to have that sense of peace. We might not have it in the moment. You know, guys, that's just the reality. In the moment, if you're really going through something, you might be full of anxiety and just feeling, oh, gosh, that's so, I want that so desperately, but it's not there. But I'm telling you, if you just cling to the Lord, just hold on to him like Peter. Lord, where else can I go? I don't have any other options, Lord. It's, you're, you're, you're it, Lord. And as you cling to him, you're going to get some distance. And when you get some distance, you're going to look back and you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. I pray that we would not underestimate the ministry of you of your spirit in us lord we thank you for holy spirit helper comforter paracletus spirit of truth we thank you thank you thank you we could not do it without the strength and the power of your spirit thank you lord we pray father that we would recognize when we're grieving your spirit when we're feeding the flesh, when we're pursuing the things of the old man or the old woman, and your spirit, you, Lord, perfect gentleman, you're never going to knock us upside the head. You're just going to kind of take a step back. And we pray, Lord, that you would rule supreme upon the thrones of our heart. We pray, Lord, that if we have not been walking in obedience, we repent right now. We say wholeheartedly we're sorry for that thing and that thing and that other thing Lord and you know the things and we turn from those things give us strength Lord thank you for making us new creatures in Christ Jesus help us to walk and to live truly as new creatures in Christ Jesus Lord we pray for anyone that might be here who hasn't placed their faith in you Father you don't want any to perish. Would you woo them by your spirit? Would you convict them of sin, their sin, and that they just would come and say, I'm a sinner. Not, not, not that I've failed, not that I have vices, but I've sinned, Lord, against you. Save the lost, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>